Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Give your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew in chapter number 28. We are walking through a series that I've entitled Know Your Why for the month of January. All of us, we must know our why, our purpose. Why are we here? Why did God place us here? If we don't, we will wander, we will, we will get disillusioned, we will get involved in some things that we ought not be involved in, and really we will end up wasting much of the resources God's given us, of our time, of, of our skills, of our giftings, of our uh, financial resources, if we don't understand our why. And so we must understand that on a personal level, and then as the lead pastor of Liberty, we, I must make sure that I and our staff and our leadership and our church family, that we understand it corporately, collectively, as a church family. Do we understand why are we here? Why do we come to church every Sunday? Uh, as Christians, why did God leave us here? And so two weeks ago was Vision Sunday, and, and then last Sunday um, we looked at uh, uh, the first piece of our church purpose we're walking through over the course of four Sunday mornings, our four-part church purpose, or our why. Why do we exist as Liberty Baptist Church? And I've reminded you that Liberty Baptist Church is not some collective um, nebulous concept of that building or, or this, this nonprofit corporation. The church is you and it's me. We are the church. The Bible says the Greek word for church is ekklesia, a called out assembly, called out of the world, called unto Christ, a called out assembly that is literally the, the, the root word, an assembly, which is one reason why it's so important that we gather together. Well, I just worship God in nature. I get on my boat and I go out into the woods or on the lake or in the ocean and I worship Him there. And you can, but that's not a gathering of the church. God called us out to assemble together. It's His plan as believers to be a part of a local body, a, what we call a New Testament local church, to be a part of that body as a family member. And I'm going to begin this morning with an illustration. If you were here a few years ago, you may remember this illustration, but it powerfully illustrates today's truth in our series on Know Your Why. I want to show you a picture of a British family. The mother's name uh, in this picture is Tandy, Tandy Palms. And these are her two sons. The one on the right is her teenage son, Otis. In this picture, he's almost six feet tall. And in this picture, he is, he is uh, uh, 20 years old, or maybe 19 um, years old And uh, in this picture. And she's holding her son, Angus. And uh, yes, it's spelled just like that, the beef, A-N-G-U-S. So she has Otis and Angus. When you see Angus, how old do you think Angus is? And if you were here a couple years ago, don't ruin it for everybody else, but maybe one or two or three or four is kind of what he looks like, right? A, a toddler is what he looks like there, this mom and her two boys. What if I told you that he is 17 years old, only two years younger than the brother that's nearly six feet tall standing next to him? He's a teenager in this picture, and I don't say this to ridicule this family in any way. He has a rare chromosomal condition, and his family has shared their unique health struggles on television and in articles and other, social, other media outlets. They've put his story out there to, to inform and help educate others. 
When Angus was born, he weighed a typical six pounds, seven ounces. Everything seemed what we would call typical. It seemed healthy. It seemed just fine. They didn't have any concerns. However, he stopped growing when he was three years old. At the age of three, he, he stopped growing. And since then, he's had more than 40 surgeries and hundreds of doctor's visits since his birth. And we see this story. We hear the story of this family. We immediately realize this is not typical. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not made in God's image. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love him. It doesn't mean that God can't use his story. We all have differences and struggles and challenges, but we understand it's not typical for a child to stop growing physically at the age of three. A toddler isn't supposed to stop growing there, and as his family realized his health struggles, what did they do immediately? They sought out medical experts to help. Can you help answer what's going on? What do we do? How do can we reverse this? Can we change it? Can we, can we help encourage his growth? What is there that we can do? Why would they seek out medical help and have these different operations? Because children uh, typically are not supposed to stop growing, as is evidenced by his brother Otis, who's only two years older than him. What does Angus have to do with our message this morning? Often in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, likening our Christian lives, the Bible and Christ himself in his teachings uses physical analogies to teach us spiritual truths. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, uh, Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, that religious ruler, what did he say? Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be what? Born? Born what? Again, and Nicodemus was confused. Born again? Am I going to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And all the ladies in the house said, absolutely not. That's not happening. But Jesus was using an illustration. We understand the physical birth, and he was using an illustration, uh, an analogy to help us understand the spiritual birth. The Bible uses many of those to teach us that Christians are not supposed to stop growing either. For the past two Sundays, we've been preaching through that. And last week, we saw the first part of our four-part church purpose, share the gospel. What was the first part we learned last week? We're to do what with the gospel? To share it. God left us here. The last words he gave in Luke and the first words in Acts, ye shall be witnesses. Go tell everybody you can in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Go share the love of Christ. You've been given the gift of salvation. Now, I'm leaving you here. His last command, we call it the Great Commission. We're going to see it again in another one of the gospel accounts this morning. What we call the Great Commission, he said, go share the gospel. So why does Liberty Baptist Church exist? It's not just a religious country club to entertain you, for you to feel some, some songs that you like or you don't like or whatever, and, and to, to to get emotional and to be moved, and I'm not wrong, God gave us emotions, and I hope that songs speak to our hearts, and to have friends, and for our kids to have a fun time being entertained in the children's class, and for the youth group to have activities to try to help our teenagers. It doesn't just exist for us to come amongst one another. The church exists. You and I were left here to take the truth that we've heard and to share it with others. I preached an entire message on that last Sunday, so okay. We've shared it with others. You're here today. We're saved. Now what? What's next? 
What does the Bible say is next for the believer and for the church? What is, why are we here? What is our purpose? What should our church ministries and programs be fostering and facilitating? Why do we have youth ministry and bus ministry and a Christian school and church services? What should be happening in your home and in mine in our daily lives? You'll see it here in Matthew chapter number 28. Last week we looked at Christ's final recorded words in Luke's gospel. Today we're going to look at the teaching that Christ left his disciples in Matthew's account. Jesus is risen. He's about to ascend to heaven, and here's what he tells them he wants them focusing on. Would you read Matthew chapter number 28, beginning in verse 16, down through verse number 19 aloud with me. Ready? Begin. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Let me stop right there. Doesn't that encourage you? The 11 disciples, Judas has committed suicide. The 11 disciples that were with Jesus every day for three years watched him be crucified. He's now risen again, and he's with them. And still, they doubted. Sometimes we beat our, and, and we, ought, we ought not be just, well, justify, well, I'm just a terrible Christian. We ought to be, but sometimes we beat ourselves up that I'm not made of the same stuff Moses and Abraham and Matthew and Mark and, and, and Paul. I'm not made of the same stuff they are. They were super Christians, and I struggle with doubt. I struggle with fear. I struggle with uncertainty. So did the very ones that walked with him every day for three years and saw every miracle firsthand. Let that encourage you. God can use us in spite of our doubts. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, would you read it aloud with me? Ready, begin. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So what does he say? Here's why I'm leaving you. And, and make no mistake about it, this was an assembly of believers. Here's why I'm leaving you here. Go share the gospel. That's verse number 19. I'm, I, I have all power, and I'm going to give you that power, and because I have all power, I want you to live in that power, and I want you to share how I've changed your life with those around you. Share the gospel. Then what? Would you read verse 20 aloud with me, the final verse in Matthew's account? Verse number 20, ready? Begin. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful reminders that bring us comfort and peace in the midst of turmoil. I have all power, and because I have power, you have access to that power, so go do what I've asked you. Teach them to be saved, then the next step of salvation here in verse 19, baptism, be baptized, and then the next step, and then at the end he says, and lo, I am with you always. So not only do you have my power, but you have my presence. Let that comfort you. And let that guide you with whatever you're walking through. You have access to his power, and you have his promised presence. And what was the next step? Why he left them there? He said, go, go, go share the gospel, help people be saved and baptized. And then did you see it in verse 20? Teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Here is the next part of our purpose. He said, I want you to grow in the gospel. I want you to grow in the gospel. Those that you reach, that you share the gospel with, you are here to help them grow in the gospel. 
to help to teach them all things, not just the truths of salvation, but all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Why does the church exist? We, we look at our programs and our services and our, our groups and all the things that we do. Why are we here? One of the reasons we're here is to help your continued growth in, in your knowledge and grace and application of the truths of Scripture in your life. We're not just here to see people saved. That's our first priority. But then after that, it's to help to grasp mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And by the way, going back to the physical analogy, the Bible says when we're first saved, we are newborn babes in Christ. Nobody is saved spiritually mature, just like no child is born physically mature. It's a process, and the Bible says that we can grow into maturity, and the church should be a major part of that. Jesus, again, used that analogy, the physical lives he told him, you must be born again. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've tasted of the Lord's grace, then you need to start drinking the milk of the word. You're not going to understand it all. Just like a baby can't eat meat and can't eat all of that, you start small with little doses, and it gives you a little nourishment and a little strength, and then the next day you get up, and soon enough, you're mashing up some bananas, and then you're feeding a little syrup and maybe oatmeal or whatever that is, cream of wheat or whatever. It's been a while since I had a baby. Whatever you give babies. And you go from the milk to a little bit more, to a little bit more, to baby food, to then solid foods, and they grow. And he said, that is the same thing in your Christian life. Well, I don't understand it all. We don't get mad at a three-month-old that can't eat steak. That's okay. Just, just, just eat what you can eat. And digest what you can digest, and let it give you a little nourishment for today, and then grow a little more tomorrow, and next Sunday, and next Sunday. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto, what does he say, even as unto what? Babes in Christ. Now, that's not talking about beautiful women. That's babes like a baby. Babes in Christ. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. He said, you got saved, but you never grew. You haven't grown. It's not right. Something's wrong. It's not typical. It's not my plan. You, you've not grown yet. He said, you're, you're yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Here's the thing. Immature Christians will struggle in their life, always fighting over dumb things. That's what he says here. Are you not yet carnal? You're constantly fighting in your church. You're constantly fighting. Hey, what, what if we, what, what's going to happen if we go over to the nursery right now? We go over, anybody in here, how many of you have somebody in one of our nurseries, either the infant or the toddler, one of those little nurseries? Raise your hand up. All right, we've got, so we've got Brooklyn over there, and little Mav right there, I see your two hands, the Hayes and the Nadosix. I don't know which one of those would cause the problem first. I'm not sure there which one that would be. But what if we went over there to the nursery, and one kid picks up the car, and the other kid walks over and says, can I have the car? More than likely, unless it was when my children were in the nursery, this wouldn't have happened, but every other kid... More than likely, what is that kid with the car going to do? No. It's mine. And there's gonna be, there could be 50 cars on the carpet that the other kid could pick up. But which one does he want? The one, that one. They fight over stupid stuff. 
A kid that doesn't even like cars will fight over cars because he wants what the other kid has. And he says here, this is what happens in churches. You fight over stupid stuff, and because of it, you never grow into maturity, and I can't speak to you. He's telling them that the Corinthian church was a carnal church. He's telling them, grow up. I preached a message a couple of months ago. It's time to grow up from that passage. Hebrews chapter number five, the Bible says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. You're not listening to what we've taught you, for, for when for the time you ought to be teacher. You should have grown into maturity. You need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Your growth is stunted. You are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What is he saying? Some of you haven't grown in your Christian lives. Like Angus, you stopped growing at age three, and you've been there ever since. And your siblings around you have grown up into spiritual maturity, and he said, I I wish you would grow up. You should be teaching others, and you're still sitting there, and I have to teach you the basic tenets of Christianity. You've not matured. First Peter, second Peter chapter number three says, ye therefore beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know what he says here? He says, if you will grow spiritually, you won't be tossed with every wind of doctrine. You'll grow, and it says you won't be led away with the error of the wicked. You won't fall from your own steadfastness. How many of you, if you've had young children, have a story where they ate something they were not supposed to eat? We had a guest preacher here last week. We took him to In-N-Out Burger. First time his wife and girls had been to In-N-Out Burger after church last Sunday night. And they were telling us a story. They have two precious girls, I think third and fifth grade. They were telling us a story how when one of them was like two years old, I forget what it was, but she dropped something on the floor of the restaurant, and she, before they could catch her, before they could do anything, she got down and licked, didn't pick it up and eat it, licked it off the floor of the restaurant. Hopefully none of you are going to do that today. She didn't understand. I shouldn't be eating that. That's not healthy for me. And he says the same thing happens with believers. We eat the garbage, even even doctrinal garbage. We'll eat things that we should never have eaten spiritually because we've not grown into maturity and we can discern what is healthy and what isn't. And it gets us, we get off track. We, We hear this one persuasive podcast or read this one blog post or hear this one TV preacher and think, that must be right. He said, you need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you stay doctrinally pure. Spiritual growth brings a stability and a steadfastness to our Christianity. We won't be tossed with every new wind of doctrine. What was the command there in 2 Peter chapter number 3? But grow. Grow in grace and in knowledge. Grow in your position and your disposition. Grow in grace the way that you treat others and knowledge, the things that you understand about God and his word. We should be growing. What did Paul say? He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul, the one who wrote more books of the Bible under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, than any other human ever to walk the face of the earth. You know what he said? I need to grow every single day. I'm pressing toward the mark. I haven't arrived. I heard one preacher say, if you think you've arrived, you probably ain't even left yet. 
I heard a coach, a friend of mine, say the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. All of us should be growing in our Christian lives. We're reading the Bible through with a good number in our church through a Bible reading plan online. And this morning, one of our faithful wives and moms in our church said, I've been reading the Bible for a long time, but I'm seeing this, and I'm growing in this, and I'm challenging myself to understand this in a better way. I love that spirit, but grow. She, she was brought up in a Christian home from age five and now has her own children, one that's off to college. And she said, I'm trying to grow more in God's word. Sadly, many churches are filled with Christians who have been saved for decades, but are still spiritual toddlers. Their growth has been stunted. They've been saved, they've been born again, but they haven't grown. How do we grow? Again, understanding the physical analogy and then likening it to our spiritual life. How do you grow? How do you grow in a healthy way? I would say, number one, healthy growth, you need a good diet. To have healthy growth, how are you and I going to grow physically? We need healthy growth comes from our diet. We have to eat. If you're malnourished, it's going to affect your growth. If, if, you've, if you go years without the right nutrition, it's going to affect your physical growth. The truth of the matter is, even with our bodies, garbage in, garbage out, what we put into our bodies comes out in our health and our physical condition. What we put into our hearts and minds will come out in our actions and our spiritual condition. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What you put in, your, in, in, in through your ears, your eyes, your relationships, your influences will come out in your actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, what are you feasting on? What influences are causing that you're allowing to influence you? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Our influences matter. We have to put the right things into our spiritual lives. That includes our television programming and movies and social media and news outlets and YouTube and friendships and and streaming services and books and podcasts. Uh, You remember going through that pandemic, mental health issues skyrocketed. There was conflict and fear and division and fighting even amongst Christians and on social media and online, and people had these, they were getting dug in, and people were scared to death, and they wouldn't, they didn't want to stand next to another human being. And for those that walk, and everybody walked through that differently, and everybody had different physical things to consider. I understand all of that. But why was that often? It was because of what we were feasting on, what we were reading, what we were listening to, what we were watching. And it was causing our anxieties to go through the roof. As Paul was sitting in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, where was his head and his heart at? What was he writing to the Christians at Philippi? Philippians chapter number four, he wrote this. Be careful for nothing. That means full of care, stressed out, anxious. Be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what does it say? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And here's what he says as he continues on in that. He said, finally, brethren, so if you want your hearts to be kept, you want to be spiritually mature in your minds, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, Brother Ryan, looks like we've got to check a panel up there. See, that started to bring attention to the green block, but it just bugged me. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know what affects your peace or not? The things you dwell on. The diet you take in, what you watch, what you listen to, who you talk to, who you spend time with the church that you go to or you don't go to, the Bible that you read or don't read, 
All of those things affect our growth. What we put in a healthy diet, healthy growth comes from a healthy diet. What is, re- what is important as it relates to our diet? That which we allow into our hearts and minds, I would suggest, uh, number one, qu- the quality of our diet. The quality of our diet. The quality of our food is vital. You can't feed your mind with godless content all week long and expect to be dwelling on the goodness of God and growing in the grace of God. How is your spiritual diet? Is it non-existent? Is it one hour on Sunday? I'm going to show you a picture of a man, and some of you might have seen this. The picture, his name is Morgan Spurlock. You might not recognize that name or that face, but you might remember, if you're old enough, a documentary film he made back in 2004 entitled Supersize Me. Anybody remember that? Supersize Me. I'm guessing it's still on Netflix or somewhere. You could go watch it. The basic premise was, he said, I want to eat McDonald's every day for 30 days. And I'm going I'm to eat everything on the menu at least once, but that's the only thing I'm eating all day. And if this was back in the good old days, before we, they, they ruined our nation, we could still get things supersized. Man, I love the supersized fries. They took that away from us. And it, it, one of his rules was, if the cashier asked him, would you like that supersized, he had to say yes. And so he ate three meals a day for a month. What he put into his body was McDonald's one, at least one time, everything on the menu, and if they said, would you like that supersized, uh, it's kind of making me hungry right now, get some, get some McDonald's fries, would you like that supersized, he had to say yes. 30 days from February 1st to March 2nd, 2003, and the film documents the, his lifestyle's effect on his physical and psychological well-being. As a result, after that month, the then 32-year-old, he was only 32 when he did this, The then 32-year-old Spurlock in one month gained 24 pounds, a 13% body mass increase. He increased his cholesterol significantly. He experienced mood swings, fat accumulation in his liver, and other health effects. It took Spurlock 14 months to lose all the weight he gained from his experience. He used a vegan diet supervised by a chef. What he gained in one month, it took him 14 months to get rid of. What is that an illustration of? What we put in our bodies matters. But I would say on a spiritual side, the Bible talks about, uses the same analogy, what we feed ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually matters. Some of us feed on junk all week long and wonder, why why don't I have a passion for God? Why don't I have spiritual health in my life? Why don't I have those things? There's a lot of spiritual junk out there. May I even say, every church broadcast on TV isn't biblically sound. Every book written by a pastor isn't something that you and I should be reading. Be careful, and if you're not sure, ask someone who is spiritually more grounded and settled than you. Solid, biblical, theologically correct teaching, preaching, podcasts, television programming. The quality of our diet matters, may I say? The frequency of our diet matters as it relates to our health. I told you this two weeks ago, as it relates to, in in this point, growing in the gospel. And talking about how we looked at our why, it's to grow in the gospel. Then we looked at our how. What are we offering as a church family in our schedules, in our programs, in our plans to help you grow? And I told you the number one way for you to grow as it relates to the church program is faithfulness Sunday morning and Sunday night, the two corporate services that we have every Sunday together. There, I I prepare for hours for these messages. I pray, I study God's word, and I try to bring something every week that would challenge us, that would teach us, and that would grow us. 
And so making a commitment to those things, I, I saw a friend of mine, he retweeted somebody that posted this this week, and, and it said, aside from extremely exceptional circumstances, if you're a Christian and you're not showing up weekly to worship with your brothers and sisters in a local church, you are robbing both yourself and other people. Don't miss out because it's hard, and this is a great line, almost all important things are hard. Don't aim for once or twice a month. Aim for every single week. Of course, there'll be occasional weeks you miss because you're really sick or traveling or you're a doctor and you have an on-call weekend. But otherwise, I love what she says here. Your siblings need you to show up and you need them. This goes back to our view of the church. Are we a family or is this just a corporation that you consume an hour-long service each week? If we're a family, you need your brothers and sisters and we need you. How do we grow? How do we grow in the gospel? Regular attendance to church. Make a commitment to weekly meals with your family at your church. Physically, how often should you eat? What if you asked me, Pastor Ryan, how many times did you eat last week? And I told you once. No, 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 no. You didn't understand. How many meals did you eat the whole week, all seven days? One. And you would say, one? You must be starving. What about the week before? Oh, I had one meal the week before. One meal for two weeks, one meal each week? What's going on? Nothing. That's all I need to be healthy. That's all you need? Yeah, it's a really good meal every week. I take my time. I really enjoy it. It takes up my whole Sunday morning to eat that meal. I get dressed, meet a lot of my close friends, and we all eat together. In fact, I leave my house by about 9.15 every Sunday morning to go eat the meal, and I don't get home till like noon every week. It's really one of the highlights of my week. It's a great way to start every week, and so I don't have to eat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You'd look at me confused, and you might either you'd tell me if you were close enough, or you'd go tell somebody else, Pastor Ryan's not going to be around for very long. He's not very healthy. It's not going to last. It's not, that's not going to help him. He's not very healthy. And then you ask me, how long have you been eating only one meal per week? Oh, for years. For years? If I only ate one meal a week for years, would I be physically healthy, yes or no? Yes or no? Of course not. Of course not. But isn't that how often many of us view our spiritual food? How often should I eat to be physically healthy? How often should I eat? Every day. Daily. I should be putting nutrition in my body every day. How many times a day? Often more than once. Every meal that I eat is not memorable, and every meal is different, but every meal contributes to my overall health and strength. And there are times where I have special meals, and we might go to a feast or Thanksgiving or a a buffet or whatever, and we have special meals, and I'm really more full than others. And there might be times where I'm really busy, and I just grab a snack, and I I get a little beef jerky pouch or maybe an acai bowl or a smoothie or something, but I grab something because my body needs that sustenance. And may I say, I'm not the one that came up with this analogy. The Bible says we need the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word. We need to grow in grace, and if we're only eating one meal a week on Sunday mornings for about a couple hours with our friends, we're not going to be as spiritually healthy as we should be. I read an interesting article, the Center of Bible Engagement compiled extensive research findings into a document they titled, Understanding the Bible Engagement Challenge, Scientific Evidence for the Power of Four. In the study, they pulled pulled 40,000 people from age 8 to 80. They wanted to see how people were engaging in Scripture. As they compiled the results, they made a profound discovery they were not even looking for when they originally planned the survey. The study indicated that when people engaged in the Scripture one time a week, which could include a pastor instructing the congregation to open your Bibles, 
There was negligible effect on some key areas of their lives. The same result was true if people engaged in the scripture two times a week. The result equaled little to no effect on a difference in their lives. Three times a week saw a small indication of life. There was a slight pulse, a faint heartbeat, if you will. Something moved the behavior of the person engaging in scripture. The eye opener happened when Bible engagement reached at least four times a week. A steady climb of impact would have been expected, but that was not the case. The level was basically stagnant over days one and two with a small bump on day three. But when day four was reached, the effect spiked in an astounding way. The stunning findings included the following things happen on day four of weekly Bible engagement. And I list for you what this study of 40,000 people said. Feeling lonely dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Alcoholism drops 57 Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230%. Why is that? Because one meal a week or two meals a week is not enough for us to be vibrant, to be, to be spiritually thriving. We must be striving. And all of us, not all of us, none of us do this perfectly, but we must be striving on a day daily basis to say, God, I need some spiritual meat. And yes, that can be Sunday morning, and it can be Sunday night, and it can be for our kids in a Bible class in the Christian school and weekly Wednesday chapel, and our kids point on Wednesday night, and our community groups on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night. But it's got to be more than just the program of the church. What are we doing in our personal lives to engage with Scripture? The research literally leapt off the charts. Integral to these findings is that people who engage the Bible one to three days a week indicate basically the same effect on their personal lives as those who do not engage at all. And do we have any wonder why we look around and say, the majority of Christians I know, there's not really a lot of difference in their lives and in their homes and in their habits and their desires and in their priorities than the unbelievers that I know. There's a little different. They say they go to church, but really the way they live is not that much different. Why would that be? Could it be that we're allowing, we're allowing unhealthy influences 166 hours a week and we're getting spiritual meat two hours a week? The deceptive reality is that we can feel good about our activities without any sustainable results. We think we're being good Christians, but our lives are no different, the study said, than people who aren't Christians at all. The reality is that with, with a lack of consistent Bible engagement defined as at least four times a week, Christians have less confidence in sharing their faith and are more vulnerable to falling prey to false teachings. Isn't that what 2 Peter said? Grow in grace and in the knowledge so you won't fall prey to false teaching. As well as lethargy and apathy and consistently living out their faith in their circle of influence. I want you to understand this for those of us that are rearing children. The studies show that the, the best spiritually based predictor among teenagers was their engagement in scripture. Are we training and modeling and helping encourage a personal relationship with God and his word with our young people, with our families? This was the best predictor among teenagers was their personal engagement in scripture. The other side of the coin is equally conclusive encouraging. The more Christians read or listen to the scripture at least four times a week, the more bold they will be in sharing their faith and growing in their faith. Their lives will begin to have a profound impact on those immediately around them. There will be fewer times of stagnation in their spiritual growth. They will become viral in their faith, the study said. So here's the question. How are you eating spiritually? 
You don't have to eat a three-course meal six times a day. You don't have to sit down and read whole chapters of the Bible every day, four times a day, but are we engaging in scriptural truth to grow through a variety, through personal one-on-one discipleship, through a community group, through corporate gatherings, through reading your Bible, through a podcast, whatever that might be. And so I look at that and understanding that and say, so as a pastor, if we've been called to share the gospel and that I've been called to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us, and I've been called to help you grow in the gospel with the, the p- program of our church, what can we do? I would encourage you get godly music in your life. We are, I think Dr. Melton, I heard him say this once, we are what we sing. Uh, we're learning doctrine by the music that we're listening to. And I'm not talking about Christian music. If you listen to unchristian music, doctrine just means the word teaching. You're learning doctrine. It's not biblical doctrine, but it's doctrine. It's teaching you something. Godly music. We started uh, uh, this Bible reading plan that's on the Version app, and there are a million other ones, but reading through, and, and I've been in, it's got a, a coordinating um, a podcast that I've listened to every day the entire new year. It's called the Bible Recap, and it's two to four chapters a day, reading chronologically, and then a, a five to ten minute podcast, reading the Bible. Find a Bible study plan. Find somebody to walk through a, a Bible study with. I gave you on Vision Sunday several helpful podcasts. These are each about ten minutes long. They're three pastors that I can vouch for their approach to Scripture, their, their doctrinal, what I believe, their doctrinal correctness, and very encouraging. They're all going to point you to Scripture and, and teach you. You don't have to listen to all three of them, but I encourage you, maybe give all three of them a try. Listen one day a week and see if you resonate with any of them or where they're at. This can be while you're driving or walking or working out or, or, or going to school, whatever it might be, but 10 minutes a day, what is that? It's a little spiritual health snack. And you put that into your life, and and you read God's Word, a daily devotional book, personal prayer time, periodic fasting and prayer. I I shared on Vision Sunday, the Truth Matters Institute. For those that might want to go a little deeper, these are free college-level courses that you can audit. There's one on how to study the Bible, and you can take that uh, online there and and sign up for that, and it doesn't cost you anything, and it's a little more in a Bible college setting. I don't know where you're at in your Christian life, but here's what I do know. God's plan is for you to grow. And we become, we have no taste, we have no taste for spiritual meat because we filled our lives with junk food. We have no taste for healthy things because we filled our lives with that, the, the, the short-term sugar rush of what the world can offer. Family devotions, there are many resources I'd encourage you to be praying with your children. One I gave to a family this week um, that we've used in our house is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a simple book that you can read about three, four minutes a day, five minutes a day, and it just walks you through. You're, you're teaching your kids some things. Family prayer. This year, how are we going to help you grow? We're planning in the summer a summer series. There'll be about a month where we're teaching on apologetics, what we believe and why, and about a month on the family, and and we'll have some question and answer times there on Tuesday nights with our church family. Why do we do this? Last year, our summer series cost us uh, with with everything, with the meals that we provided for everybody, and then the love offerings and the travel to bring in guest speakers, cost us over $20,000 to host those 12 or 13, maybe a little more than that when you count the meals. Why, Why would we invest that? We want to help you not just grow physically with the good food that our church members provide, but grow spiritually. I had a member this week tell me, one of those guest preachers you brought in early on this summer has changed my entire prayer life. I'm different today, six months later, because of that one message. Why do we do those things to help us grow? But here's the problem. We prepare the meal, and if you don't come, you're not getting anything out of it. If you're not here for the meal to eat it, it's not going to help you at all. We, we have a—with um, that pastor, actually, that this member was mentioning, we have a Teach Us to Pray Sunday with Pastor Dave Tice in October. 
We have a family prayer night we're starting with Pastor Caleb on the first Sunday night of each month, bringing families together to pray together for 15 or 20 minutes. We have a summer camp in the summer for the youth and for the juniors. We have our young adults group that meets every Thursday, and they have other uh, off-time meetings and activities. I'm excited. In two Saturdays, we're going to kick off the Spiritual Leadership Mentorship Program. This is not supposed to be a hundred men that we just eat some biscuits and gravy and I I, I read for five minutes. It's going to be a smaller group of men that want to be committed to it, are making a commitment. I'll be there every time we meet. We're going to meet at 7.30 this first Saturday morning with whoever wants to come, and I'll explain more about the program. And then if you decide you want to go there, my prayer is there'll be 10 to 20 men that I'll be able to spend about 90 minutes with you on a Saturday. We'll walk through a book on leadership principles and look at biblical leadership and grow in our God-given responsibilities. Why are we doing all of this? Because I didn't have anything to do on a Saturday morning at 7.30? No, because we want God's people to grow. And we need a healthy diet, but we need a frequent diet. If you ate the healthiest meal in the world, but you only ate it once a week, you wouldn't be physically healthy. And the same is true of our spiritual lives. Number two, and I'll be done. How do you grow? Not only is it a healthy growth through your diet, but it's slow growth through faithfulness. Can you point back to the day in your life when you physically did all your growing? What day was it when you grew from four foot tall to five feet tall? What day did you grow from five feet tall to six feet tall? Some of us aren't there yet, are we? We're still waiting for that day. What day was it when you grew an inch or two or three? What day was that? What was the date? Did you mark it on your calendar? Here's the reality. How did all of us, that's not how growth works. How did all of us grow? That's sometimes what we look for. We love the quick fix, don't we? We love the seminar that's going to tell us how to get rich quick. We love the book that's going to teach us how to retire at age 30. We love the the person that's going to show us how to lose weight in two weeks. What pill do I buy? What, What machine do I order? I stand on this machine that shakes my body for nine minutes a day, and that's like working out for three hours. Some of you have that machine in your home. Don't, don't, don't let us know. That's a... That's not like working out for three hours. It's not going to do it. You're not going to get a six pack ab by letting a machine shake you like this for, for nine minutes. We all love that, don't we? But that's not how growth works. Growth doesn't work that way. Growth is incremental. What is the key to growth? Slow, imperceptible, unnoticeable, minuscule daily growth over the course of weeks, months, years, and decades. And you look back later at a picture, and you're shocked at how much you or your family or a loved one has grown. If if you're raising kids and you have grandparents that are out of town, or they haven't seen your kids for three or four or five or six months— The first time they see him, what do they say? You've grown so much. And you know what you didn't say on any of those days over the course of six months? You went to bed one night and woke up the next and said, you grew so much last night. No, it's imperceptible. It's minuscule. You can't see it. But it happens with with healthy, frequent meals and rest and some exercise. And God adds, God does a work that I don't understand that lets us grow. And by the way, the same is true in our spiritual life. It's healthy growth through quality, frequent meals, but it's steady, slow growth through a lifetime of faithfulness. It doesn't happen in a week, a day, a week, a month. Oh no, it happens over years. And you look back over years and say, it's amazing what God's taught me in my life. It's amazing how I've grown. Let me illustrate in a closing illustration. On February 11th, 2000, this photo was taken. That was our wedding day. She looks the same without the nice uh, 90s poofy hair there. 
There were times it got even bigger than that, folks, and I loved it. Now, <laughs> and it's a little blurry, but uh, I had bigger, poofier hair there too, didn't I? This was fe- that was the Thompson family, February 11th, 2000. About eight years later, in 2008, it looked like this, and we had added three kids, and there's little TJ and Titus. Ashlyn, the two oldest, are in Florida today, serving the Lord and preparing their lives. Right before we moved here, only seven years ago, some of you have noticed since this picture, this was just a month or two before we moved here. This was 2015, about seven years later, the family had grown, and we added two more, and little Trey, and I was still the tallest in the family. (laughs) And this was three weeks ago or so at Christmas, after the Christmas service, There in our lobby, and you can see, actually the angle's good here, you can't see it, but there are two of those guys that are taller than me. Whoever took the picture, I like that angle better. And now you've got Trey and Annalise and Ashlyn. She did stop growing. We didn't feed her good enough meals. I'm not sure what happened there, but she physically stopped growing at about five foot. She'll tell you five foot and a half inch, I think, but it's right at five feet. How does that happen? From 2000, two people walking alone down a stairway to our wedding reception, to last three weeks ago, five of us with two gone and they're adults and another one about to be an adult and cute little TJ, the blonde little guy is now the one putting those pictures up on the slides and the computer back there. How did that happen over the course of 22, nearly 23 years? Daily meals, daily exercise, daily rest over thousands of days. And then God gave growth that we couldn't figure out exactly. God does it. This is the Christian life. Faithfulness to God's house and his word daily for years and decades. And the family looks totally different 20 years later. And the growth in our lives looks totally different 20 years later. We never sit down for one meal, eat it, and then get up talking about how much a child grew during that meal. It's just consistent, faithful nutrition that leads to a lifetime of growth and health. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. Faithfulness leads to growth. Consistent, daily, imperceptible deposits into your spiritual health. So what is the purpose of the Christian, of the church, to grow in the gospel? We want to structure our church ministry to facilitate that growth. So how are you doing in your growth? How's your Bible reading? How's your Bible memory? How's your Bible study? How's your church attendance? Should you consider coming to another service each week or jumping into a group, starting a daily devotional? downloading a Bible app to get on a program. My passion for our church is that all of us would be growing. If you're saved for years and you're still a spiritual toddler, like Angus still looks like a physical toddler, that's not God's plan for our lives. He wants us to grow. It's going to take a healthy growth, a good diet with good quality and good frequency, and it's going to take steady, slow growth, faithfulness, and stay faithful And by the way, faithful and fruitful. Faithful doesn't just mean existing on a pew. Faithful means we're growing, we're learning, we're sharing, we're praying, we're serving, we're helping. And why do we exist as a church? Yes, to reach people, but then to help them grow. Why do we have our children's program going on right now? To plant little seeds that will grow in those hearts. Why do we have a Christian school? Not just to give you a safe alternative to a public school. There are those out there. They're called private schools. That is one benefit of a Christian school, maybe. 
and not to teach the things, but we're not here just not to teach some of the things that I wouldn't agree with in the public school system. We're here to plant seeds of spiritual growth in those young lives. Now, we can't force growth upon them. Part of that is their decision, and it's God that gives the growth, but we can, we can lay the meals out. Why do we have a bus ministry and a youth ministry? Why do we go to summer camp? Well, Brother Ryan and Damaris just didn't really have much going on in June, and they just felt like spending a week at 110 degrees in the desert with 50 of their closest teenage friends. Why do we have teen camp? Why do we do that? We want our young people to grow in the gospel. That's why the church exists. So is there an area you can plug into to start feeding yourself a little better? Pastor Ryan, I can't understand why I'm always doubting. I can't understand why, why I struggle. I can't understand why I don't know anything about the Bible. I can't understand why I question, is this thing of Jesus even real? By the way, some of that's just humanity, but some of that is just immaturity. One of the reasons is your diet isn't what it should be. Let's, let's, let's get on a better spiritual diet in 2023. The things that the church is providing to help with your growth, plug into them. Take advantage of them. Be here when we're doing those things. On Sunday, the doors are open. Come, be ready to learn, to grow in his word, to grow in your knowledge. If there's a certain topic you're struggling with, get a book. Ask one of our pastors. Ask a faithful man or woman in our church that maybe has walked through those paths. And the Bible talks about the aged. Teach the younger, those that are more experienced, to walk with you, meet with you. An hour a week, I, I had a meeting with a, a newer believer that's been coming to our church for about six months this week. And I was so encouraged. He had all these notes and questions about, well, what what about this? And what about that? And how do we go there? And there's a hunger. What is he saying? I want to grow in my Christian life. You've been saved for a while. Have you stopped growing? Have you lost your passion to know him more? You're brand new. You're a baby in Christ. That's okay. Get some milk of the word this week. Let's grow in the gospel. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.